Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the shepherds here. And um, we are going to jump right in. I, there's a part of this singing and this worship where you almost think we could have a worship service this morning and just spend time in that theology. But there's some additional theology in this book that we're going to take some looking at, uh, John chapter 16. And we're going to start off right off the bat kind of reminding you of where we are that Jesus has been teaching. He's been in the upper room, and at one point it looks like they've left the upper room and are walking. But at this point, Jesus continues to teach. And as he is teaching the disciples, it's the idea that he knows he's not going to be there much longer. And so he's giving him his, their last bits of advice, wisdom, encouragement, what they need to know. And so when we jump in right here on verse um, 16 of chapter 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me, he launches into what's about to happen. This little while that he's talking about is literally within about 12 hours he's going to be crucified and he will die. In a little while you will see me no longer. So we're going to set that up as the foundation point right now of what he's talking about. But what you're going to see in this passage is a series of things that begin to happen. That the disciples, though they've been with him for three years, traveling, listening to all of his teaching, listening to him talk about this, there's this moment where he steps into it and he says this, and they are clueless. They don't know what's about to happen. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to look at it in its entirety to see what's really happening here. And so I'm going to give you a phrase that's going to play out over and over, and it's going to show the difference between him and us. And the concept is, he knows we don't. And then there's a second sentence that goes with it, he knows we don't. That's it. If you can just simply carry that, he knows we don't, and he knows we don't, then he's showing up to walk through this with us. It's it's speaking out of ignorance, and so something happens in this passage that that literally, for me, showed up for the first time, and we're going to look at it in just a second, but this idea of understanding and not understanding becomes pretty clear. As he says this, a little while, you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me, meaning he's going to resurrect. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying this? So there's two lines in this, and if you look at it in verse 18, they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know. And if you look at the first part of verse 19, Jesus knew. So as we jump into this, that's the whole statement. They say, we do not know, and Jesus knew. What did Jesus know? Jesus knew all kinds of things. He already knew that in a little while they would see him no longer, and then in a little while they would. That means he knows he's about to be crucified. He knows he's about to die. He knows that he's going to be resurrected, and he knows that they're going to scatter, and he knows they're going to be filled with sorrow, and he knows right now what they're talking about in this little huddle. He knows all of that and more. 
He knows we don't, and he knows we don't. That's the concept. As we look at this, it starts to play out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Interesting to me, anyway. You guys just have to walk along with me over the next couple of little bits of what we're about to do. Because this is what God did with me in this passage as I'm reading it. And I'm trying to say, all right, Lord, I'm not exactly sure what the main point of this passage is, what we should be teaching, what we should be going over. And I'm, I'm wrestling with it, wrestle with it. And along the way, I don't know if you noticed, but the word ask shows up quite a bit. In fact, it, it shows up first in verse 18 or 19. Jesus um, knew that they wanted to ask him. So he says, is this what you were asking yourselves? And then if you jump into verse 22, he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you until now you've asked nothing. In, uh, nothing in my name, ask and you will receive. And then a down in 26, and that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father. And then in 30, no, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. So ask starts showing up 10 different times in this passage. And it strikes me that maybe I should ask. I know it's, it's a little slow in coming for me, but I was sitting there reading the passage and I'm reading and looking at it and it says, ask, 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 ask. And I said, all right, Lord, would you please open this up and help me see it? Now, what came next for me? I'm about to take you down the journey of, of what I discovered right after that. But I went and looked up just what the word ask meant. And I just flipped open a Strong's Concordance. And you have off the side the numbers that are for the different Greek words. And right off the bat, it shows up that there are two different Greek words here. So we're about to have a really light Greek lesson. And the, the idea is, is we're going to look at what this does and what it means because some of these verses are confusing when you look at it and it says, well, you've not asked, but you're going to ask or you should ask or you won't ask. And it's like, what is he talking about? And a lot of it makes sense once you realize that even in one particular sentence, Jesus uses two different words that are translated as the one word ask for us, but he says one word in one part and another word in another part. He uses two different words. He doesn't use the same word for ask, and those words have different meanings. So here's the meanings, and if you've got your pens out, I'm going to ask you to mark up your Bibles or your journals if you've got it, because this one will help you if it's in your Bible with just a little arrow, and the arrow is going to explain this in just a second. So let's jump in. Um, the, the first word, when we look at this word ask, is aiteo. Aiteo is a submissive form. It's something that a beggar would do when he's asking for alms. This shows up in Acts 3.2. There literally is a beggar. He's lame at the door. And um, Peter and another disciple come up and, and the beggar asks for alms. And this is just simply a point of submission where somebody's in a lesser position and they're asking of somebody more. So that's ayateo, and it's an, it's an upward asking. It's a point where you're in a lower position, you're asking somebody who's in a higher position. The next word is erateo, and I'm not going to really spell these out for you. It's not so important that you know the words as much as you understand the meaning behind them as we go. But erateo... Eratau is the, is the idea of it being equal, that you would ask somebody who is on an equal footing with you. 
And this shows up in Luke 14, 32, when in Luke 14, there's two kings that are about to go to battle, and then they ask for peace ahead of time, but they're talking to each other, a king talking to a king, and that ask is equal. So I know that that might sound all confusing, but Ayateo is just simply this kind of ask, and Eratao is this kind of ask, to an equal, submissive to a, to a higher being. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage really quick, and I'm going to give you the arrows so you can know which word is used where. The up and down arrow is ayateo. That means a submissive form asking somebody higher. And the eratao is going to be the one that is equal form going to somebody who's on a peer relationship kind of thing. Are you ready? And I'm going to just give them to you really quick. So those of you who care and got a pen and have a Bible, you can mark them up at this point. So in verse 19, it says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. Equal is the line. So the line would be across its eratao, is they wanted to ask him like a peer. And by the way, when it says, is this what you are asking yourselves, that asking is a completely different word. It means deliberating. So we're not going to touch that one. And then in verse 23, in that day, you will ask equal nothing of me. Ereteo, you will not ask on equal terms with me. And then truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, Ayateo of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now you have asked, straight up and down arrow, you have asked nothing in my name. Then again, ask, Ayateo, up and down, and you will receive. That's a submissive form of asking that your joy may be full. And then in 26, and that day you will, Ayateo, ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will eratao my father, or ask the father on your behalf. And finally, the last one is in verse 30. Now we know that you know all things, and you do not need anyone to eratao question you. All right. Here's the thing. Um, that you may look at and go, I'm not even sure what that means. Good. That was kind of what I did. I went, what is this all revealing? We're about to do a really quick John survey. We're going to look through the Gospel of John of where this word, ask, ereteo, um, or Ayateo, either one show up because there's little bits of theology that pop out of each one. And we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're going to go super fast, but it's going to set it up of how this works in different relationships. And then we're going to jump right back into John 16. So to begin with, um, turn to John 1. And in John 1, we have a point where the Jews are going to question John the Baptist to find out who he is. So again, this is a question about position and who's who in the relationship and the asking. And at this point, we can see that as the Jews go to ask, it says, um, let's jump in of... uh, Uh, 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Eretau, to ask him on an equal level. So as much as Jesus says great things about John the Baptist, as much as even the, the priests and the Levites are acting like John the Baptist is some kind of prophet or something great, they don't treat him that way. They talk to him as an equal. They ask him, Eretau. They ask him as an equal, as a peer, and they're not treating him that way. And that shows up in verse 21. And they asked him on an equal level, what then, are you Elijah? They didn't believe he was Elijah. They were just simply talking to him. And in verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him. 
And so, again, it just shows it up on equal footing. Take a look at John 4. Really quick in John 4, we have the woman at the well. And you can almost remember this question about asking. Jesus comes up and he says to her, give me a drink of water. And so we're going to jump in on John 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, notice he doesn't ask her there, but he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask in a submissive form, ask me, a woman from Samaria? So this is confusing to her because she says, why are you asking me in a submissive form because you, a Jew, would be higher than I am as a Samaritan? And this confuses her. And remember, Jesus didn't actually ask. He said, give me a drink. But then watch what he does with the answer in verse 10. He says, Jesus answered her, if you knew... And remember, this is what the whole thing is about. He knows we don't, and he knows we don't. So here it says, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have ayateoed him. You would have put yourself in the submissive position and asked him for living water. So even in this point, this part of position starts to matter. She's confused. Why are you asking me? And he turns it around and says, if you knew who I am, you would ayateo. You would ayateo. You would ask. You would be submissive in that level. So we got to go a little bit faster. So now let's look over at uh, John 8. I'm not going to tell all these stories, but remember when the woman is caught in the act of adultery, uh, the men bring her up and they're trying to, to say, what do we do with this woman? And the law says we should stone her. But in verse 7, and it says, and as they continue to ask him, he stood up. He's been drawn on the ground. And as they continue to ask him, era towel. They are not seeing him as anything other than just a peer. So they treat him as a peer. And then we can jump over to uh, chapter 9. It's probably just across the page for you. Um, Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, and this one's kind of sad, his disciples, Eretau. They asked him as an equal. This is important to understand. And I don't think you should feel like demeaning to the disciples, I think you should understand this is where we slip all the time. Listen to what they say here. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him on an equal level, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? They even use the term rabbi, which should be ayateo. But what they use is eratel. Scripture uses Eretau. That what they're asking him is, they're asking him as an equal. They just see him as one of their buddies. They're going along. They call him rabbi, but they clearly don't see him as the son of God. They clearly don't understand who Jesus is. This level of position continues to play itself out. We can go down through this. Um, Martha, when the, Martha has the conversation with Jesus, and she's saying, well, if you would have come sooner, you could have... Ayateo, the father, and, and helped him live. And Jesus, is, Jesus, by the way, never Ayateo's the father. He's equal. 
Nowhere in Scripture is there an ayateo where Jesus asks the Father in a submissive form to the Father. Instead, it's always on equal footing with the Father. And Martha gets that wrong when she says, if you had been here sooner, you could have submitted and pleaded and begged with the Father. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way it goes. It's actually, I'm equal with the Father. This theology is pouring out of the silly little word, ask. All right, we could talk about the Greeks when they come and ask Philip. They do it on a, you know, we wish to see Jesus, and they ask to see Jesus. They did with Philip an equal level of asking. And then uh, finally, Jesus in 1416, um, we get Jesus using it in multiple times. In 1416, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will, ereteo, equal footing, the Father, and he will give you another helper. And then again in 17, which we haven't gotten to yet, but it's uh, the high priestly prayer. But in 17, there's several. In verse 15, I do not ask, and he's praying to the Father, I do not ask Ereteo that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In verse 20, I do not ask Ereteo for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. All right. So that's crazy that we've just gone through all of that. And we left a couple out, but they do the same thing. The concept is this, is that Jesus in this moment chooses two different words to say to them what we're talking about. And it actually clears up some of the verses when you stop and go, that's a little confusing. It'll actually make more sense if we read them again. But Jesus is saying to them, you are different than me and I am different than you. And what you need to do is still Ayateo, the Father. And so when we start looking at this, if you come back to John 16, verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will eratao nothing of me. In that day, so what's that day? This is fascinating. In a little while I will not be with you, But then in a little while, I'll be with you again. In a little while, I'm going to be crucified and gone and dead. And you're going to be filled with sorrow and grief and and crying. But then in a little while, I'm going to return. And when I return, you will not ask this way. Previously, they treated him this way. But after the resurrection, they no longer treat him this way. They step back and go, literally... Oh my God. Oh my God. That's the one time you can say that without using God's name in vain. Oh my God. That the scales fell off their eyes. They no longer would pray to him. They would no longer ask him. Ereteo. Not as an equal. Instead it shifts at that moment from that time on. Ayateo. This is fascinating. Except that this is true with us. We bring God down to our level so many times. And God is stopping to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to walk you through these things. This is the last part. Jesus has been saying all that previously. But here we are on this final words. He's about to pray to the Father in 17. Everything else up to this point, he's, this is his last teaching. He's going to be arrested, crucified, and it's over. This is the last teachings before that. And this is the moment that he stops to say, you don't know, I do. 
I know what's going to happen next, you don't. And that begins to, to paint out and clarify everything else. When in verse um, 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will leap, weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. You will ereteo nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, I ateo in my name, he will give it to you. That this whole thing of sorrow and everything that's about to come, he already knows it's coming. He says, when I'm crucified, you're going to be sad. You're going to scatter. It's going to go badly. But if you knew who I was, and if you knew, then you would understand what's going to happen next. I am going to rise up. And when I do rise up, your sorrow will turn to joy. And I hate to tell you this, but this passage too many times is used as he will turn your sorrow into joy. Actually, in context, it's specifically referring to the resurrection after the crucifixion. It's not that he won't be working in our sorrows. We can talk about that in a little bit. But the idea here with this is specific to them at that moment that once you realize who God is, your sorrow is turned into joy. When you realize who Jesus is, your sorrow is turned into joy. But here's the point. I started studying this passage not even knowing this about the word ask. I look at it and go, there's so many things I don't know about the passage. There's so many things we don't know about it. So I want to bring it into this point that what happens here, what Jesus is doing with us, he's saying, you're okay where you are. The, 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 the situation that you're in is I know that you don't know. Remember, he knows we don't. And he knows we don't. So... We've had friends have a, a really fancy restaurant in Seattle. Um, it's one of the top restaurants in America, if not one in the world. It's won some awards that put it on that, that um, qualification. It's known as Candless, Candless Restaurant. And it's super expensive. The Bill Gates go there to eat. It's, it's that nice. I've, I have not been there as a regular. I'm friends with one of the owners. So I've been in the building, but I have never paid to go have dinner there. It's that expensive. But it's really, really good, I hear. So the Candless family, in order to be one of the top restaurants, they decide we're going to go learn how to who's doing other great food so that we can look at some of their menu items, see what they're doing. And so every year they take a trip to go find another fancy restaurant anywhere in the world and they go eat out there so they can learn more about great food. So they take their whole family to a restaurant in Spain known as El Bulli. And El Bulli is a restaurant that has won multiple years in a row in the, the middle 2000s. And I want to say they won in 2004, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. And in 2010, they just shut down so that they could go study food more. And you think, what? They would be open for six months... And they would take 8,000 reservations for those entire six months. And then they would close down. And then they would study food. They would try different things. They would experiment. It was like a lab as they would just try different spices, different mixings, different things with their meals. And they would work for six months until they had perfected the menu. And then they would open up for six months. 
And they would serve it to 8,000 people, and then they'd shut down, and they would do that again. And year after year, they were rated the best restaurant in the world, year after year. So the Camelis family said, we've got to go to this restaurant and try this. So they bring the grandparents, the parents, and then uh, my friend Mark, he comes. And, and so they're all there as a family at El Bulli. They got a reservation, which are really tough to get. And they come in, and they're sitting down. And his grandpa, Mark's grandpa, he orders fish. And when they bring this fish dish, that's just this incredible, impeccably made, researched, studied for six months to do it just right, it's prepared perfectly and set in front of him. His grandpa, who's an old Marine, looked at it and says, hey, can you bring me a couple slices of lemon? Now, lemon is nine on the acidic scale of one to 10. So it's number nine, and it's super acidic, and everything that the chef has just done to prepare that fish perfectly, his grandpa is about to ruin by putting lemon all over it, and the whole family just almost gasps. It's like asking for ketchup. And he stops and says, hey, can I have a couple of lemons? And the family's like, oh, Papa, don't do that. No, just like the way he made it is perfect. They really know what they're doing. And the waiter stops the whole family and says, no, 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 no. We are all but learners here. Let's try a couple of lemons and let's see what it does. And he turns that entire moment around from being one of embarrassment to being one where you lean in a little more and you ask a little deeper and say, well, maybe there's something more we can learn out of this moment. This is us this morning in this chapel studying the word of God. We are all but learners here. Amen. Do you understand he knows we don't, and he knows we don't. And one of the best things we could do would be to ask. We're all but learners here. And the way to learn is to come before the Father and say, God, I'm not sure I understand what's happening in this passage, in my life, in something. Ask. We are all but learners here. This concept, in this passage, there's only two things that Jesus asks of the disciples. He tells them, and I'm going to point them out really quickly, is that um, verse 24, until now you have, Iateo, you have asked nothing in my name. Iateo, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. And this point in time, the asking is not for gifts. It's not for healing. It's not for all kinds of other things that we might want in the flesh. The ayateo that he's talking about is asking for wisdom and insight. That's specifically what it says. Ask anything in my name and the Father will give it. He will reveal it. He wants to reveal more of himself to us. And the first command in this passage is, ask. Ayateo. So at this point, we know we don't know. In fact, this whole passage is bookend that, it, that we start with the disciples that where they stop and say, we do not know what he's talking about. And then it closes out at this end part that when it says, uh, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly. This is, this is both sad and tragic. Then what happens is Jesus says, well, we'll back it up. We'll let him say it. Um, in verse 28, he says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. He said that again and again. But before that, he talks. Go back to 25. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
The hour is coming when I will no longer. In other words, he hasn't started doing it yet. In fact, he just did it when it figures a speech about the woman who's about to have a baby. How many of you men know what that's about? You shouldn't raise your hand, actually. We don't know. This figure of speech is one that we don't understand. The disciples are kind of going, what? It's still a figure of speech. And yet, listen to what they do. Ah, now you are speaking plainly. No, he just said that the hour will come when I do. I haven't started yet. So they misunderstand even what he says in that moment, but, he's, but they go on. Oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Ereteo. Because they heard that. They, they caught the difference between Ayateo and Ereteo, and they got that Jesus was saying, don't Ereteo me. And so they said, oh, we get that, that at that time we're not supposed to Ereteo you anymore. They didn't even know why. They just caught the message. So the thing that we miss when we just see ask, 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 and we don't get the breakdown, they caught that there's a difference. We're supposed to Ayateo, not Ereteo, but they didn't do it because they realized who he was. They just said, and now we know that you do not need anyone to Ereteo you anymore. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And and it's like, this is why we know. And it's almost like Jesus says, oh, do you? Do you now? I mean, that's kind of the literal translation of the Greek. Today's language would be, really? Really? Do you know? And the reason why you can know in context that that's what he says is because listen to what he says next. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it is come. It is at hand. When you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. That in this moment, as you stop and boldly proclaim that you now know, aha, we've got it, we know, he stops and says, no, you don't. And we don't. And he knows we don't. We need to be okay with the fact that we don't. And we need to understand that he does. And that we go to him. And now here's the powerful thing of what happens next. We have in this passage, and we're going to jump into the first part of 16 really quickly. Darren covered this last week, but uh, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That the spirit of the living God has been sent and he's coming. He's going to guide you. Jesus himself is teaching. In fact, if we look at the the Luke 24 passage on the road to Emmaus, he goes and talks with the disciples there. And then he goes into the upper room and he teaches them all things. So we have the Holy Spirit teaching. We have Jesus himself teaching. And then as you can look again at this part right here in... uh, Verse 26, and that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I won't have to ask the Father. I won't eretail the Father. You know why he's not going to eretail the Father on our behalf? Because now the Father will interact with us directly. Because Jesus will have died on the cross, his sins will, or his blood will have covered our sins. We now have a relationship with the Father. And listen to what it says about the Father's affection towards you. For the Father himself loves you. You have the Spirit, you have the Son, you have the Father, you have the fullness of the Trinity leaning in towards you, begging you 
to lean in towards him. This is a powerful concept of position. He stops and corrects them and says, don't ereteo me. We are not on equal terms. Ayateo, see me as superior to you. You are inferior to me. I am God and you are not. He knows we do not and he knows we do not. And in that point, look what he does. He doesn't distance himself from us. He doesn't treat us as like we're just chopped liver. Instead, he sends the Spirit. He sends the Son. The Father himself comes and loves you. The fullness of the Trinity shows up to guide and walk with us. That's so cool. That's so cool. This is what this passage is talking about. And then in verse 33, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's the second command, take heart. Ask and take heart. But I want you to notice a little trick in verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In other words, if you're not seeing him as who he is and really rely on him, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to feel a peace in the world because the world's going to feel like it's swirling around you and there's no way out until you understand the power of the living God, the Trinity that is right there with you. And at that moment, you have peace because you know God is with you. So the may have is a part where you need to lean into his arms and see him as who he is as the almighty living God. You will have tribulations, by the way. That one's not iffy. You will have tribulations. You may have peace. And the may is dependent on whether you lean and trust in him. Uh, Recently, I had someone uh, say that they had... um, They've been coming to our church for a little bit. They came a couple of times. They had a, a couple of kids, and they wanted to put the kids into Sunday school. They wanted their kids to make their own decision. They didn't necessarily believe in God, but they wanted their kids to at least be exposed to it so that they wouldn't you know, predispose their kids so that they were just going to bring their kids. And then they came and sat in church while their kids were in Sunday school. And they came for a while, but then they stopped coming. And the reason they stopped coming was they said, there's too much God talk. It's too much God talk. Good. Good. There's a point here where we do not know. And for us to study Scripture, to stop and say, Lord, reveal more of yourself to us, is so, so very important. I want to close out with a verse out of Jeremiah 9 where God himself says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That when we get to that point, God himself stops and says, I don't know what you're chasing. I don't know what you're dealing with, but he says, don't boast in anything in your life. If you boast in anything at all, boast in this, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. Two commands out of this passage. Ask and take heart. Take courage. Lean into God so that you may have peace. 
when tribulations come. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I stand here in my own ignorance, uh, just fully aware of what I do not know. And yet, Lord, you already know what's going to happen this afternoon, what's going to happen next week. I would ask, Lord, that you would continue to just work in my own life, to reveal yourself to me. But Lord, as we go into this passage and look at it, that this would be something that when in all of our hearts, every one of us would be yearning and longing to know you more. That Lord, the own, the, our very own tribulations that we, we ask for peace on, we now understand that that comes by knowing you. Would you reveal more of yourself to each of us? And Lord, even some that are here today that are just going through tremendous burdens, tremendous questions of where you are in the middle of this pain, where you are in this confusion. Lord, I would ask that you reveal yourself to them, that you would begin to teach them, to guide them about you, that they might lean into you. And thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit, your son, and Father for loving us, that the fullness of the Trinity would be fighting on our behalf. We are so grateful for your love and ask these things in your name. Amen.